How's everybody doing? Good to see you. You guys seem to like each other. I see you talking in the lobby and hanging out. That's nice. Some churches don't do that. A whole lot of them do, though. So it's good for you guys to like each other. I got to turn some things on. You know how your eyes get old and you can't see things? That's, ha- that's happening to me. I don't like it. I sit here, not sit here. I was sitting. Do you guys eat at a table or do you guys eat in front of the TV? Like, who does what? Okay, good. Yes, the answer is, that's a good answer. Yes, you do one or the other. We kind of sit, sometimes we eat at a, can you, is this right? Is this good? Okay. Sometimes we sit at a table, rarely. Um, most of the time, my middle daughter's at dance. The one that's here goes to dance some. And then the older one's at college. Um, and then there's meetings and other stuff. My wife um, works at Beaufort Community College. She is a liaison. So she works between the high schools and the college to let kids take high school classes. Um, so sometimes she's gone. So what I do is I get my plate and I put it on the side of the couch and I just eat it in front of their TV. But I've got so I can't see my food there. It's just fuzzy. I don't have anything to do with the sermon at all. Just getting everything. Sometimes you got to get used to how I talk because I'm somewhere between talking way too fast, which is how my brain operates and Olivia talks, or too slow and I start stuttering on my words. So my brain and my mouth have to find a middle ground. So sometimes I have to just talk a little bit so you can figure out this Chocolaty accent. I think we sound like this, ram, 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 from Chocolaty. And I don't like it, but it's in my DNA, I guess. Um, let me start with a prayer, if that's all right. Let's pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. I was trying to think of something great I did. And I like, I got good kids. Like, my girls are good. I'm biased. You think your kids are good. I've seen about a thousand kids come through camp this summer, and not all of them are good. Some of them are some of them need to be at church camp. And that's what I try to tell parents, especially church people. Like, they're like, that kid's bad. I was like, well, why would you want him anywhere else than at church camp? Like, he's got plenty of other influence. Let's bring him to church camp and see if we can't let your kid put up with a little mess so we can influence him for Jesus. So usually you have that conversation, it works out well. But I can't take any credit for my kids being good. That's probably my wife's doing. Um, I'm barely holding myself together. I can't imagine raising a human that's got any sense. I'm going to open my notes before this thing gets too far off. Um, Because I write something and I have it in my head and then it comes out all different. I'm sorry to her because I showed her my notes this morning and she just rolled her eyes a little bit scared. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to be doing reading from Ephesians 3, 10 through 12. And I was not prepared enough to have given them the slides. So I'm sure they're good. Maybe can get it up. But... I don't know. Um, so you'll open your Bible, or if you trust me to read it, um, I would definitely. But it's going to be Ephesians 3, 10 through 12. But I was trying to think of something I did on my own, and there's not a lot of things, except for turn my iPad off, and I'm trying to pick it up, that I did on my own. 
and then my wife had a good idea. It was actually, this is also my wife's idea, but I did it, okay? So I'm not trying to take credit. My wife turned 40. She said, I want to do something crazy. I said, okay, because I'm always up for crazy. And my wife really is one of the most, um, what's the word? Not crazy? Um, stable, yes. Um, I'm going to be the one, like, to run off and do something. I, I broke my elbow trying to jump a chair on 4th of July. Um, I am often injuring myself, and so um, I just make bad decisions. She makes good decisions. But she said, let's do something. And I snuck it in a bag, what we did. You got to give me a second. It's a good illustration, I hope. I also had to roll it up in these things because they're precious to me, and I mean that. Um, We got some medals because she said, let's run a race. I said, all right, we'll run a race because I'm up for races. And... We ran a 5K on, I don't know if it's going to work with this mic. It's going to be great. This is a great illustration so far. It's working out wonderfully. Um, We ran a 5K on Thursday. We ran a 10K on Friday. Wait, wait, wait. It gets better. We ran a half marathon on Saturday. We ran a full marathon on Sunday. And because you run all these races, and we did them at Disney, that's why we got all these Disney things. Sorry to everybody who's going to have to listen to this podcast later that I'm going to put this, I got medals on for those of you to listen to it on the internet because I listen to it. Um, And then because you run that, you get a challenge medal. Because you did a half marathon and a full marathon, I wrapped them in these because I didn't want to scratch them because they're precious to me. I'm making a mess on your stage. Um, you get a goofy challenge. And so you get this medal. And then if you do all of them together, they call it the dopey challenge. My wife said, let's run the dopey challenge. Look how cool this is. Spins in the middle. <laughs> this is actually her medal. Because mine, I built us displays to put them up on the wall. Hers is hanging. Mine is nailed into a display, so I couldn't get my dopey <laughs> challenge out. But look what I got. You have to train for like a year. I trained for a whole year of running to be able to run 48.6 miles in how many days we did it? Four days? Um, So we started. And the thing is, on the Sunday of the marathon, I've never run a marathon before, by the way. This is hopefully one and done for me because that was crazy. We ran it in Orlando, Florida in January 2020. Listen to this. We walked around the parks. We got our pictures taken. These things are heavy. I wore them the first day, and then the second day I put them in a bag and carried them. And we took pictures with our family and put them back in the bag and put them on my back. But we're just walking around the park like this. Me and Amanda had all these medals. Her uncle, who is 67, ran it with us. And she's running with him. She's faster than me. Everybody needs to know my wife is a faster, better runner than me. I'm taking these things off. They're heavy. Uh, Actually, I'm going to wear them for a little bit because I'm proud of them. Um, And he was running with her. And she's she's like, how many marathons have you run? He's like, well, I've run four but I haven't finished any of them yet. What? She's like, well, we're finishing this one. It was record high temperatures for that day in Orlando. January like 8th, 10th, somewhere in there, early January, it was 89 degrees. We had been training in North Carolina, and you know it stays 80 degrees until November. So we ran, and some of those weeks, I was running 40 miles a week to train for this. I am slow, like 12-minute miles slow. Some of you are not like... You have to do it in 16 minutes so you don't get credit for it. So I'm just plugging along. Amanda's like 10-minute miles. 
Now she's like eight minute miles. She won't admit it, but she's fast. And, but this is, I, I had to train it myself. She couldn't run it for me. I couldn't do it anybody. So I, and I had to do it for a whole year. I hate running. I don't know why I said I would do this. I'm out here running thinking, I don't have to do this. Nobody's making me do this. Why am I running? But I wanted to be healthy. I actually started running um, because I ruptured my Achilles. Doing the craziest thing. All right, sorry, people on the internet. Hold on, hold on, okay. Doing the craziest thing, walking up the steps to my house. I walked up the steps to my house, and my foot slipped, and I blew out my Achilles tendon. I didn't realize that was such a major injury. Apparently, you can't walk for six months after you do that, and you probably should go to the doctor. I put some peas on it, some frozen peas on it for a couple of hours. I was like, this hurts bad. Like, I broke my elbow. I broke ribs falling off a waterfall. I have done a lot of damage to my body. Um, I had sinus surgery. They say sinus surgery is bad. I felt better the day after sinus surgery. My wife remembers it different because I was all medicated and drugged up and telling her stories and stuff she didn't want to hear. But I felt better after that the next day. This hurt. And so, and then my wife, we move into another house with the camp bought a house. So I moved from this house to the other um, like four months after that with a boot on. I still didn't go to the doctor, have never been to the doctor for it. But I know I can do this on this foot. I can do <laughs> that if I think about it real hard on that foot. So I played sports. I like playing basketball. I like playing volleyball. I love doing all these things, and I couldn't do it anymore. And so I was like, well, I can run. So as a way to be active and do something, because I like being so athletic, I was like, I'm going to start running and just to see if my body will do it. And so I started running, and my wife started running. She started running. She's like, let's go run around the neighborhood. I said, okay. And I'm walking beside her, and she's like sweating and huffing. I was like, are you serious? This is all you got? She's not going fast. And now she's like leaving me. She's like, is this all you got? I'm like, I'm about to have a, my lungs are yelling at me to slow down. I'm like, you just go ahead, little speedster. I'll be right there. Um, but we did that because she said she wanted to do it. That's why I did all those runs. But that day in January, they cut the course. I ran into this one park. I'm running around, and there's people, 20,000 people, 15, 20,000 people running this thing. It's a lot of people. And some people have not trained for this at all, and they're doing their first marathon. And they're eight wide in the road, and you can't run around them. My feet hurt so bad. I just, it felt better to run, but my heart rate was going so high. I'm like, I'm going to have a heart attack because it's hot. There are people, some guy went to, it's like you see on TV, he went to the little table to get some water, threw his head back, and collapsed on the table. Cups exploded everywhere in the middle of the day. They're like, we need a medic. There were people, this is not an exaggeration, laid out all side of the road all the way you went. They just overexerted themselves. I had my little pen pouch, like you get, you know, when you're going to school, it holds pens. And I put it on my little running belt. I taped it on with some white, like that tape you use when you injure yourself, little white tape. So it looked like it was an Adidas symbol. I had three little white stripes because I was trying to be cool. Um, that's what was holding on. And I glued the other side. It looked so bad. But I'm running, and I had stuff, some gels, and some, all the little stuff you need to run. I'd stuffed them in there. So every time I run past somebody, I'm, like, walking a lot. I did it in 16-minute miles, which was smart because it was so hot. Um, and I would ask somebody, hey, you good? And they were like, yeah, in fact, because I had little supplies. I could give them. I had some water bottle and stuff. Somebody comes up beside me. She is sweating. She comes running, she stops right beside me. I said, you doing all right? She said, yeah, I just need some salts. Pulled out a one-gallon Ziploc bag with all these colorful crystals in it, dumps it in her mouth, zips it up, and takes off running again. I was like, she gonna die. Like, this doesn't seem smart. All these people running, people falling out. I twisted my ankle. I stepped off the road in mile two of the marathon. 
it was dark, it was five o'clock in the morning. If you do the math, I ran 48.6 miles. 24 miles into 48.6 miles training for a year, I step off the road and roll my ankle. It swells up instantly. I'm sitting there like, I have trained for a year to fall off the road in the dark. Say, well, I hurt myself before. I broke my ankle because, you know, I hurt myself before. And I was like, I don't think it's broken, so I'm just going to run. So I just ran five straight miles until it went numb. And I was like, yeah, we're good. I'm not a doctor. Don't listen to me. And so I go, I make it, I get back to the room that night. It's all swelled up and bad, but I got my medals. So that's all that matters, right? I had to figure out, I wanted to do something cool. I wanted to do something big that was for me. Um, And the best thing about running is nobody cares about if you run. Like, I can put my dopey medal on and walk through Walmart here, and people are like, that's dumb. I got a cool green shirt. It says Dopey Challenge. I hate green shirts. It's long sleeve. I hate long sleeve shirts. You know what I wear with pride? My dopey shirt. You know who knows anything about it? Nobody. How many of you heard of Dopey Challenge before today? Nope. How many of you going to care about it tomorrow? Not one of you. Like, this is a big deal to me, but nobody cares about saying about running. Runners talk about running because it's something that we do for ourselves. I dislike it strongly. Um, and we quit talking about it because we realized nobody cares. Like, it's a big thing I did, a big accomplishment in my life. You guys are like, well, that looks nice, and then it's not a big deal. I had to figure out, though, in my life how I was going to transition from not being able to be athletic to doing something good, right? You guys are in a transition time right now. I hear you got a new guy starting tomorrow. Lance. I almost did the sermon of like a prophet isn't welcome in his hometown, because that's tough, because you guys know Lance. You don't know Lance. Is that right? And so it's a tough transition. It's like a new school year. You guys are the students, getting a new teacher, younger than you, less experienced in life than you, called to lead you and this church into reaching this town for Jesus. So students, can you do that? Like you're following him. You guys will work together, but you've hired a leader for this church. Not a little kid. Lance has done ministry. Aaron has done ministry. Like you've got to come into this. So this is my pep talk sermon for you hired a new guy. What should you do? Is that fair? Um, And I don't know if you figured out my sermon style is kind of all over the place. So if you have questions, just do this and I'll try to make it clear. Ephesians 10, 3, no, Ephesians 3, 10 through 12 says this. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I'm going to pick apart this verse for a second, these verses. Um, manifold wisdom of God. The Greek of that um, is polypoikolos. Doesn't mean anything. It's just a Greek word that I looked up. I took two semesters of Greek and learned that the NIV is pretty fantastic. That's what I learned from it. Um, But it is nice to look at it because the manifold in this is like multifaceted. It has a lot of parts. They used it not much in the Bible, but outside of the Bible it was used in Greek. And they used it a lot to refer to the colors of a painting or the colors of a very intricate um, embroidery. Did somebody make this up here, or did you buy that? 
Yeah, you made it. Yeah, I saw it this morning. We have a quilting retreat that comes, and these ladies will get together and quilt, and it's amazing to watch what they do. That's amazing. I've seen the work they put into it. That's great. It's kind of like, if you look at all the details of this and the work that went into this, that's manifold. There's a lot to it. The manifold wisdom of God. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge that's applied well, right? You know something, and you put it into practice well. Um, and A.W. Tozer said this way, God's wisdom sees everything in focus in relationship to all and God is able to work everything out with flawless precision. He sees all of time, all at once. He knows everything, and he applies what he knows perfectly in every situation. And it was his intent, God's intent, that now through the church, this manifold wisdom would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So with the church... God's wisdom will be made known to the um, rulers in the heavenly realms. Paul talks several times in Ephesians about this. And when I read it at first, I was thinking rulers and authorities. But the heavenly realms part is kind of fascinating. He talks in Ephesians 1.20, Christ is over all. He sits at the right hand of God over all the high and above all the other rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2, Satan is referred to as the ruler of the kingdom of air, another realm that they talk about. Ephesians 6, we talk about the armor of God. Why do you put it on? The spiritual forces of evil that are attacking you in the heavenly realm. Paul speaks often in Ephesians about this other battle going on. And we get so caught up in what we see, we forget that there's all this other stuff going on that Christ is high above and God has authority over, and we're in that battle. He says the church will make God known through the heavenly realms. God in his wisdom decided that the church was the tool to do that. Not individuals sitting in the pew because you are people. The church is a body. The church is a body of individuals that get together and function well together. You've got to have unity in your body. My ankle blew out on me, and I didn't function well. And I had to figure out how to overcome that. Everybody as a group functions well together, and God gets glory through all the heavenly realms. Beyond Wilson, beyond North Carolina, the devil sees it and understands how big God is. And we're content to sit here and fight over carpet or argue about service times or get on Facebook and fuss about somebody that's done something else. We are called to bring glory to God in all the heavenly realms. So what's the purpose of the church? Purpose of the church, we need to figure out what's important to God, right? What do you think is the most important thing to God? Anybody have an answer? Don't say we are because that's a lie. The most important thing to God, let's read a little bit more. Ephesians 3, let's go down to 16 through 21. I pray to you that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through the spirit of your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted, the church, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and to Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The last line, God can do immeasurably more according to his power that is at work within us. Why does it say in verse 21? Why is that? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. God's ultimate thing is his glory. These medals are kind of a glory for me. You guys don't care. In the past, this church has done great things. That was a glory of the past. But what are you doing now? What are you doing now to bring glory to God? We can argue about maybe who's the greatest, I don't know, basketball player. Some people would say it's like LeBron James because you're young. Some people would say it's like Walt Whitman for forever or Michael Jordan. Nobody says Chris Avery is the greatest basketball player. I sat the bench in high school. I would joke all the time. My, my, I would practice my shots in, in practice throwing it from the bench. I was like, I got it, coach, because I don't play. I played, the cheerleaders were going to give me a letter if I didn't get a letter of basketball because I was an assistant coach more than I was a basketball player. Nobody says the name Chris Avery when they are talking about the greatest basketball player. There are arguments to be made for these other guys, but nobody says my name. But when we talk about the greatest of all time, where does the glory go? The glory goes to God. I want to skip a little bit if I can make um, my Bible app work. Philippians, you guys know all this, chapter 2, verse 5 is where I'm going to start, I think. Yes. <clears throat> I talked about unity before, unity in the body. When it talks about in the last thing that God gets glory through the church doing its job, being rooted in love, Christ came, and the devil acts to bring separation. The devil acts to bring separation. Christ came to close that gap between us and God. That's simple. This is kind of Sunday school talk, by the way. This is, this is basic Christian beliefs right here. Satan celebrates the division. He works to create division, and Christ come to bring unity. So when the body functions together, God gets glory because of that unity. When we bring people outside the church into a relationship with Jesus, God gets the glory because there is unity. So Christ came in perfect obedience to God the Father. And this is what this is about. Ephesians, I mean, Philippians um, 2, I'll start in verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, equal to God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found 
in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. What's the last part say? To the glory of God the Father. Why did Christ come? Because God told him to. Why did God send him? Because he loves us. When I say the most important thing to God is his glory, that doesn't mean we're not valuable. You were paid, you were bought at a price. And the price was Jesus, the son, separated from his father. A part of God separated himself from himself to purchase you. Valuable. Everybody outside here is valuable to God. Same price that was paid for you is paid for all those people who are blasting on Facebook or all those people over here we're looking at or the kid at Ken that we don't want hanging out with our kid because he's cussing too much. Everybody's valuable. Christ died to unify all mankind back to himself. The church brings glory to God in all the heavenly realms by proclaiming that good news. That's our job. As a body, I think it's interesting, going back to that Ephesians verse, um, if I can read, because my eyes are dying. Ephesians 3, we're back. um, In verse 18, I'll start a little bit before that, and I pray that you be enrooted and established in love, because that's the basis of all of it. God the Father loved you. God is love. He, I said it wrong. God doesn't love you. God is love. That is a part of his being as much as his wisdom is, as much as anything else. He is love, and that love compelled him to send Jesus. Be rooted and established. Dig those roots down deep. Hold on to that. We are love. No other group outside can claim more love than we have. I don't know why we're so angry at the rest of the world right now. We root and establish ourselves in love like a tree tall. Winds come, blast us. We sway, we hold. Rooted, established in love that we may have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's a weird play play on word. You get together as a group of people and you try to figure out this thing that's not able to be figured out. And God will allow you to figure out this thing that can't be figured out as a group of people. The church body functioning together in unity. And you can grasp how big God's love is. Because I know a part of God's love. I know my story. I know my struggles. You know your story. You know your struggles. You know your story. You know your struggles. Together with all the saints, compare these stories. Who's too far from God? Nobody. Tell your story. The church has, we're, I don't know, we're doing church wrong in America, 100%. Because uh, um, I was reading, I said to somebody this morning, I was, um, our youth minister actually said this the other day when he was preaching. He's like, we, we complain about the world's getting worse. The world's doing this stuff. He said, the world's doing exactly what the world does. Hasn't changed in history. The world's been bad. The problem is that we've allowed the world to infect the church and how we view ourselves within it. We have this individual mindset, this idea that we're going to take care of ourselves and we're going to 
I don't know, we're so self-centered that when I ask most people, I did a week-long, I've, I've talked about glory of God before, and you ask most people what's the most important thing to God, and the answer is, we are. Of course we are. Look at what our God's all doing for us. God's doing what he's doing because of who he is. He's allowing us to come along for the ride. Who he is wants him to be together with him, but he doesn't need us. He is perfect as he is. God exists wholly perfect without us. He knows we need him, but he doesn't need us. We've allowed the, church, the world mentality to affect the church, and in the process, the church has lost, and maybe it never had it, I don't know, I'm not very old. But it's, it's always confused me how we read in Revelation that the world gets worse and worse. When every Christian in this room has a part of God living in them and the power to bring people into unity with Christ. So did God pick a bad plan to use the church to redeem the world? Because it's not going to work. We see that things are going to get bad to worse. Is it because we're not doing our job well? I don't know. I, I struggle with that one a lot. Like, if we did our job right, I know we've talked to people and affected people, had communication with people where they, now, God honors our free will and loves our free will and lets us have our free will. He let the rich young ruler walk away from him. Jesus was standing there. You think Jesus couldn't have convinced him to come back and have a conversation with him and told him how wrong he was? He let him walk away. And he'll let people walk away, but the church should not drive people away. We are rooted and established in love. We are so much love that we're annoying to people sometimes. You can treat us bad. You can knock us down. You can, we'll loan you money. You never pay it back because they're all tools. Everything's a tool. When we get together in our meetings, when we get together doing the things we do as a church, first thing we should do, we're sitting here Sunday morning. It's a good time to start. Don't do it because it would be weird. Maybe you should do it because it is weird and we do weird stuff in church. But look around at the people beside you and think this thought. How wide and how long and how high and deep is Christ's love for you? Do we think that every time we look at another human? Go to the gas station. Somebody cut you off and got in front of the pump. What do you think? Rawr, how wide and how long and how high and deep is Christ's love for that person? We have to wait too long at McDonald's. One of the worst things I hate doing, I worked pizza in for a little while, was Sundays after church when the church people came dressed up in all their stuff, having worshipped God, sit at the feet of the most holy God and treat that server like they're trash. They see the clothes you're wearing. I had the biggest argument. I almost lost my job at Office Depot. Because everybody there knew I was an ordained minister. And <laughs> um, the lady came in to run some church bulletins. And the girl behind the counter, who I've been trying to talk to about going to church, and had been going but quit going because she was in college in her early 20s, ran the copies wrong. And this church lady slammed her and chewed her out. And me, the customer service manager, pulls this customer aside and said, what are you doing? We'll fix the copies. We'll fix them right now. But you're representing a church in this establishment where I'm trying to reach people for Jesus. 
And you're blowing the whole thing by running some dumb copies. Lance and Aaron are coming. I'm excited for you guys. Lance has been deaning for me for a while. He took over at Christ Church. He loved the kids that I loved as a children's minister there. And he did a great job with them. Lance is not Mark Willard. I love Mark Willard too. He actually let me be the first staff I worked on was Mark's. Um, I've loved his kids. Me and Chris have worked together a lot. Jason is one of the best guys I know. Um, you guys have done some great things with some kids in the past here. Um, I'm excited about your future, but it's different. And I think that's okay. Are you guys 100% happy with what your church is doing now? I'm not saying you're not doing a good thing, but are you 100% happy? This is a good time. This is a time of swing, of momentum, of looking at what we're doing, of looking at everything. Why not? Everything we do is a tool to reach people for Jesus. Everything. You sing good? Tool to reach Jesus. You can run a Mickey Mouse race? Use it as a tool to Jesus. Like, it's all a tool to love people. And when you, as a body, and when this little body gets together with another little body, there's churches beating everywhere. When we do it right, we shake the foundations of hell. I do this, I love what I do, because I get to see people get together with kids every week. I get to see grown-ups come to adult camp. I get to see all these little groups get together. And there's something special about separating yourself out from the world and just focusing on God for a little while. But that's what this is every week. Every week, welcome people in. It's okay if this place is uncomfortable um, with the people that are sitting in the room. Don't ever think, well, they shouldn't be here. We love people. We love people sacrificially. We love people like Christ loved the church, like he loves us. So that's my call this morning. That's my little challenge. I don't even know if I went 20 minutes, did I? The unity is what we're looking for. And that doesn't mean we're going to have arguments. The apostles had arguments. They figured it out. But it means we can have conversations together and love each other. We can figure out not the best way, because the best will destroy you. We're just trying to figure out, well, what can we do right now? And we'll make it better, or we'll make it worse, or we'll cut it out. But unity among this body of believers, and then pull everybody in with that unity that Christ wants with them. It's not about the preacher. Lance is an interesting human, you know. He's, he's, he's like this but he's smart and he loves people. And I would every day when I have a preacher that was like this, then a dynamic speaker that didn't care about the people. He will pray for you, he will love you, he will talk to you, and that's what you want in a leader. So help him, come alongside him, respect him, which is hard because he's young. But he has done things in his time that I am excited for the future of this church. I'm excited for you guys. Keep the main thing the main thing. Always work to glorify God with what you do. 
as an individual and as a person, as a church. I'm going to pray for us. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen each of you with power through his spirit to your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And that we can know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do it immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.